Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Talk with Real People. I am your host, Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and I have a special guest that's coming here to have a candid conversation with me today. Um, You already know my guest from several other conversations that we've had on this podcast, but I'm bringing her back today because we're going to have a special conversation about a book she wrote. So I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Miss Renee Taylor. Renee's path to entrepreneurship began in 2019 when she took a leap of faith by becoming a co-author and breakthrough with Les Brown, Johnny Wembry, and Nick Halleck. Through self-discovery and personal development, she began to utilize the platform to inspire others to unlock their greatness. She continues that same mission in this book, to empower men and women to break free from their grief, to live a more fulfilling and purposeful life. And that book that we are talking about is Seven Steps to Healing from the Loss of a Parent, Letters to My Father by Brene Taylor. Brene Taylor, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me yet again. How are you doing, my darling? I'm good. Thank you for having me again. Thank thank you you for coming. Thank you. That amazing intro. Oh, well, you're an amazing person. So amazing people need to have amazing intro. Right. I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. So before we dive into the book, what's been happening with you? What's been going on? Anything special? Um, Any new projects? I know that you are a very busy woman. So why don't you first talk about some of the projects that you've been involved in? Yes. Well, in terms of projects, as you guys may know, or people know me for entertainment media and broadcasting and things of that nature, nothing too major. Um, I think what I'm doing right now is a lot of passion work um, and purpose work is what I like to call it. I, I've been telling people I'm in a season of rest. So I'm either doing too much or doing you know, the most, or I'm just like in this space here. So there's really no in between with me. So in this season of rest, I've just been of service. So mainly I'm coaching my students, um, supporting three different universities and a college out in D.C. And that's amazing. So I'm just committed to being with them and supporting them to the finish line, whatever that might look like, because everybody is different and their, um, you know, their career path and their goals are a little different. So what, however long it takes, I'm here with them. Okay. Um, I'm also supporting three different districts here in Columbus, Ohio is where I sit now. I'm no longer Jersey, but shout out to Jersey. Okay. I'm so East coast. Um, but I am, I currently live in the Midwest currently and, um, I support three different districts out here. So I, I love what I do. My sweet spot are third graders. I love the little people uh, where you can still be a superhero and they still love you and they're helpful and they haven't talked, they don't talk back. They don't cuss you out. Um, <laughs> what three year olds do you know that don't talk back? Listen, I, well, well they're third grade. <laughs> third grade. So, I mean, my kids, they love me. And I mean, they're very opinionated and they like to negotiate. They want to know why, but what I find with all of my students is you give them the space and the validation to yeah. have an opinion, to have feelings, uh, to have a say. And when you have those, that, that even exchange and that conversation with them, you find out what's really going on and, and how you showed up and how they perceived you or what you can do better. And I think when you have that exchange, there's that trust there. Um, and so I don't have any problems with my little ones. Um, the teenagers, you know, they, they got a little attitude sometimes, right? 
you know, they roll out of bed and, you know, they have this sense of entitlement, but I love, I love what I do and I love the kids. So that's what I'm working on. Okay. You know, I'm listening to you. I did, did I know, are you a teacher? I am not. I am not. I've been everything but a teacher. Okay. So I've been a teacher's assistant. I've been a paraprofessional. I've worked with special needs. I've worked with at-risk, um, long-term substituting. So I'm basically a board substitute um, for these 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 three districts. And um, I found from a lot of teachers that I've worked with that left education. They were like, nope, I'd rather do this. Because what I love about it is I work with who I want to work with, when I want to work, how I want to work. Um, and I don't bring anything home. Okay. Right. I can just be of service and be a vessel to empower these little people, to encourage them and love on them. And uh, and that's what I do. So, okay. um, Crystal, you should be able to relate to that being a teacher yourself. Yeah, yes. I love the teachers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Can- <laughs> no, no, yeah, I was going to say that um, I think for me, um, when Renee was talking about like working on passion projects and, and, and being of service, and that she finds herself like, you know, like either in rest or doing the most and like no in between. I'm like, that's literally me. Um, I'm currently in a space where I'm trying to just do things that bring me joy um, and say no to all the things, even if they bring me money, because um, I need to to rest. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to rest. Right. Shout out Shout to out self-care. To that's right. Self-care. And, and the first thing I had on my list, like every year at the end of the year, I assess what went well, like all the blessings, all the, the, the great accomplishments and milestones I hit. But then I also make a list of goals. Right. So the first thing on my list was breathe. Mm. And that is major. I don't know any time in my life, even when I've been in therapy, actively in therapy, I don't recall anyone saying, stop, breathe with me or teach me how to breathe, right? Or have deep breaths and have, and listen to my body and feel my body and, and um, understand what's going on there. I don't think that we just live in a culture that allows us to do that. And as women, uh, as minority women to just sit and relax and breathe, we, we, we don't know. And a lot of times you don't know how tired you are until you sit down. Yeah. You stop. Right. So because I'm in this season of rest, I'm feeling everything. Yeah. And, and and yes, and Vicky, I know that you can relate to, to what Renee is talking about because you know, being a grandmother too, and and take care of the grands because I know because I tell you that hike wiped me out this morning. <laughs> I I came home. I talked to Vicky briefly, and I said I'm gonna have to take a nap because I have. Good for you. And I, I, I'm not going to be able to make it, I said, because every inch of my body hurts. But we don't rest, Renee. And that's and that's the problem. And uh, I don't know. I think a lot of it is that we want to keep ourselves busy so that we don't feel. Yep. That I, part. Yes. Absolutely. That's me right now. That's me. That's me right now. I literally, and, and I have this conversation I, with my mother, my brother, everybody that knows me, I either feel like I'm doing the most or I'm wasting my life away. I'm literally in that space right now where I feel like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I, I feel lazy. I feel like I'm languishing. Um, even to get on this podcast, we're just going to keep it all the way funky, right? This is a candid oh, no, conversation. This is, um, 
conversation. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm in a space where I am. I'm feeling a, a great amount, great deal of grief as we come up on on Mother's Day. Um, a great deal of grief as we just had my grandma my grandmother's um, anniversary of her passing. Um, a great deal of grief as we just celebrated my father's birthday, which is also in April, right? So all of these things compounded along with just the state of the world. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and trying to find a way to unplug, but not completely disconnect to the point where I'm out of touch. Right. Yeah. I feel like I'm on social media because of what I do. Right. So you want to have a presence. You want to show up for people. You want to let people know, look, this is real life. This is the real deal about grief and loss. This yeah. is how I'm processing it. This is my healing journey. I'm going to take you along the ride. But at the same time, it's almost like you have to, one of my coaches used to tell me, you have to protect your ear gates. You have to protect your eye gates. You have to protect your spirit. And there's so much darkness surrounding us right now that sometimes I'm so apprehensive. Like, I don't even want to pick up my phone. I don't want to be on my iPad. I don't want to be online. Yeah. I can't watch the news. You know, it, it's just so much that we're processing that it makes it very difficult to find that balance of like, okay, yes. Now, not now, wait, you know, maybe not too much. You know what I mean? It's almost like, it's like this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, but wait, okay, kind of, sort of. And that's that's what I'm feeling. So, you yeah. know, but Dr. Caroline, you've always been a, a great support for me. So I'm like, oh my goodness, if you're doing something about this, we definitely have to sit down and talk about it because this is something that people don't do enough of. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fun. You, you mentioned that you're starting to feel a bit of grief because some dates are starting to come up. And um, even though my mom and dad passed in July, I'm still right now still remembering. And it's still, it's starting to bubble up inside of me is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. It will be going up. It'll be coming up on three years, but it's, I'm still just the other day I was bawling my eyes out, you know, thinking about my mom. So this is a grief. Recovering from grief and loss, take it is a process. It, it, it takes some time. And I love that you um, took the time to write about how you were able to get through, you know, after you lost your dad. So let's talk a little bit about when did you, um, if you, if you, if, if you want to, because I don't want to bring up anything that's going to be so emotionally, you know, but I was going to ask you, when did you lose your dad? What, what year? Yes, 2011. 2011. And um, I was approaching my 30th birthday. So pivotal. I mean, I was at the height of everything. I was I was managing a high-end luxury store and boutique. I I looked great. I, you know, I was in great shape. You know, I was with the love of my life that I thought I was gonna marry. Um, I was working on my first album um with an independent label. So I was signed. Uh, my album was almost done, actually. Um, just earlier that month, I opened up for my label late, my label mates, and premiered three of my singles. Um, so everything was on the up and up, right? It was not a time where I thought I was going to be experiencing losses because right after my dad passed, my pastor passed, who was like a huge mentor for me. Um, and simultaneously, when my dad passed, that relationship was coming to an end. In fact, the last time I physical, physically saw that person was when they were playing the organ at my father's memorial. So there was so many endings and it changed me as a person. 
And I was always someone that was an extrovert. I was always very dramatic and theatrical, right? You guys know that. Um, and, and love the arts. And being an artist, it's a very giving of yourself. And so in that space, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know how to process it because I never felt grief at my doorstep, right? Because I've always been on the outside of it, right? Um, but it being my parent, someone that I was actually getting to know better and kind of reconciling the relationship that we had. And then all of a sudden he stripped away from me in that. And, and, and it seemed quick for us because he told us about his condition later in the game, right? So he already knew long before he told us. And then by the time he told us, he was already receiving chemo, radiation. You know, he was then on oxygen. So it was like, it was it was so rapid. It was like, wait, what? <laughs> I just found out this is happening and, and what are we gonna do? And then when he decided he's not doing any more treatment, that was it, it was in God's hands. And so because that happened so rapidly, it was, it, it, it kind of shattered me. It shattered my personality and what I always knew. And so I kind of shut down completely to the point where I did not perform for over a year and a half. I got out of my contract um, and it, it was, it, it changed a lot for me. Wow. Yeah. So um, I know all of us on this line right now has um, suffered a loss. Um, it's hard. It, it really is hard. Um, Crystal, I don't know if you want to speak about your losses. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to speak. I don't, about know if, I don't know if you're ready to speak about your losses, but I know that they were also traumatic for you. Yeah, um, I'm going to speak about one of them. Um, but to me, um, I can relate uh, to what Renee said about um, you know, losing a parent, not knowing that that's going to be the last time that, you know, you're going to see them. Um, and especially when you're working on building a relationship with them. Um, and that sudden loss of now, like, I felt like all my dreams, everything that I wanted was attached to my father. Um, and then when he, le when he left us, um, it was so sudden that I didn't know how to cope with that. Um, and so I also shut down um, and I'm someone that uh, uses, um, you know, work and, and everything else around me to kind of keep my mind occupied. And so when that happened, I went into that, that fight or flight mode. And I was just, on, you know, like I have to, you know, figure out, um, you know, his car, I have to sell it, I have to clean out the nursing home, I have to clean out his apartment. Um, you know, I have to figure this out, that out. Um, and so I was so on the go that I didn't have time to, to sit down and, and think about it. Um, and then I realized that I was like, I literally felt empty. I wasn't like things that were happening to me that I should be happy about. Um, and Caroline knows this cause we would talk about this all the time. And you would ask me like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to be happy when, remember? I used to say, I'm going to be happy when I'll be happy when, and I was attaching my happiness to all these milestones and then they happened. Um, and then I felt even worse because I'm like, wait, like I was attaching my happiness to all these things and then they happen and I feel even worse because this whole time I was working on that. Um, and it wasn't until the pandemic happened that everything that I was using to like mask the pain went away, um, that I had, I for, you know, I was forced to, to deal with my, um, emotions and I realized that I'm like, okay, like I need to talk about this. Like I can no longer, um, hold all of this inside um, and I've been in therapy for about three years now. I, I started when the pandemic started. Um, and for me, I, you know, my, my therapist literally said the other day, like, 
all right, like, it's great that you're talking about your relationship and then everything's great for you. But when are we going to talk about your dad? And mm -hmm. I'm like, um, and she's like, you know, like you came to therapy to talk about your dad um, and you're still not talking about it. Um, and so I told him, okay, I'm like, okay. So I'm like, from now on, all of our sessions, no matter how hard they are, like we're going to dive into it. And what I've been realizing is that um, I, for me, it was like, I created the story that I wanted, like I thought was like picture perfect to like sell to everybody. Um, that now as I'm like, you know, untying that knot of everything that bow that I put on over this, um, is that I'm starting to realize that there was all this trauma and all these things under that, um, that the reason why I haven't healed yet from the loss of my father is because I haven't addressed all this childhood trauma, um, and all that. So for yeah. me, um, I, the reason why I, I didn't want to touch that is because I knew that all of this was going to come out. Right. Um, and so, you know, the only way to heal is through, um, yes. and that's where I'm at right now. Yes, yes, yes. I can, I can relate to everything that you're saying. Um, and, and, and Renee's book and in the introduction, it says, this book is going to change your life and perhaps it's going to inspire you to share your own story. So I wanted to give us a little bit of space to just do some sharing. And um, Vicky, I know that you were a young girl when your mom passed, right? Um, yes. I do know that you still feel the sting of that because I remember an incident where it really hit you hard in your adulthood. Yes, yes. And listen to you ladies speak. I don't think, I know I didn't have a time to grieve because I was 16 years old when my mother passed and I had three younger siblings. So when my, when my mother passed, I didn't expect it, even though I knew she had cancer. And when you're at 16, you think your parents are gonna live forever and that she's coming back because she said to my father, she wanted to go home. Mm -hmm. And home to me was her going to North Carolina to visit her sisters. Mm -hmm. And my father took her down there. And I had no idea that she was not going to come back. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's one of the reasons why we are having not just this session, but we're going to start a whole uh, group. Mm -hmm. We can literally. Um, we're going to... Just hold, get yourself together for a minute because yes. Yes. I'm going to have um, Renee um, talk a little bit about why she um, took um, wrote the book in that in in the time in which she wrote it because um, you wrote it in 2020, right? So um, yes, mm -hmm. and and it's funny it it didn't it it didn't release until I believe it was November ish, yeah. but I wrote this book the weekend of my birthday of 2020, which was July. Yeah, I was in a book camp. Right. I was sponsored to be a part of a book camp where you basically have accountability. You have other people like yourself writing a book rapidly. Right. Yeah. Um, and kind of learning tricks and tips of the trade to get it done. I came there ready to publish my book of poetry. Oh. Letters to my father was not at all in the radar. It was not in my mind frame at all. And the coach that I was working with said, oh, I don't publish books of poetry. So 
I didn't know, but God knew, right, that everything was in perfect alignment because the first, my first step to getting through that healing process or beginning the healing process, just to Crystal's point in terms of like feeling the pain and allowing myself to feel that pain was when I took out an old spiral notebook and started writing to my father, going to places we had, we had been last, you know, what I would say to him, you know, writing letters, what I imagined he would be, um, had he still been here because he was only 57. And from that old spiral notebook, I think I might have it here. Um, so I was just showing someone that this is like real. This is what it looked like. This is, this is, this is, this was the start of letters to my father, where I was just writing, I was writing letters, poems, anything that came to mind. And it all started with the first anniversary birthdays, um, any, anything, look at it, it's falling apart. Um, and I took that and transformed it into a guide. So God knew that the world was going to go through a pandemic. God knew that people were going to be faced with grief and loss in a, in a major way. Some of which never knew they didn't even know the word. I mean, you know, people don't talk about it. We don't, we're not allowed that. And, and we're not conditioned in our society to even feel anything, to even process pain, right? It's always about what you can feel that pain or those feelings with so that you can avoid it. And so with God's perfect alignment and divine intervention, I ended up having to retransform some of the things that were in this book and, and making it into a guide that I wanted to be kind of like a quick guide so that people that maybe never picked up a book or don't even like to read right. um, or people that maybe didn't even, didn't, haven't even had a loss like this one could still get something out of it. And, and their birth letters to my father, seven steps to healing from the loss of the parent. Right. So that was nothing but God. I had no plans at all in writing this book. <laughs> mm -hmm. But to, yeah. to the point in your chapter one, it says acknowledge the pain. And I'm going to go back to you, um, Vicki, because yeah. you just mentioned that you didn't even realize that you didn't even allow yourself the, the time to grieve. Mm -hmm. Probably why even after all these years, you're still grieving. Um, yes. Because you have to first acknowledge, as pointed out in Renee's chapter one of her book, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. acknowledge the pain. Yes. And at least yeah. this is something that I have to work through. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk so about when did you When did you acknowledge it, Vicki? I just wanted to know because I know you said 16. Yeah. And that's such a long time, right? You're in your you know impressionable years. When yes. did you have a time to do that? You know, Renee, I don't think I ever have to be honest, because I have these periods of moments of, of grief that I think about my mother. And I think about what, what would I've become had she lived, you know? So I ask myself these questions, but what I do know, <clears throat> my mother prepared me for that time. Mm -hmm. To step in, me and my sister, because I have, there was five brothers and two girls, five boys and two girls. And I had three younger siblings and three younger siblings. And I was in the middle. Mm -hmm. So when my mother passed, I had two brothers that were in college and my sister had um, just graduated. Okay. Okay. So me and my sister, we stepped in, you know, she moved out, but she would come over and help me with my brothers. So I was the mom and, and, and doing things. So, there yeah. was no time yeah. to say, oh, it was me. What am I going to do? You know, I just did it. 
Yeah, yeah. I just did it. Did you ever um, keep a journal? Did you ever write down what you were feeling um, during, maybe not during, no, even when you got older, did you ever um, stop and say, um, when you were thinking about your mom during those times, did you ever journal? No. Wow. Okay. No, never did I journal. My so how important is, is um, journaling? How important is journaling your feelings? It's a, you, you, you mentioned that right in chapter one to document your feelings, you know, um, to talk about it, document it all the time. So, so this is obviously step one to put into a place of healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I call it space and grace. I mean, I've always been a writer. I knew that I wanted to be a published author. I knew that this, this day would come. Um, I just didn't know that I'd be writing a book in dedication to my father. I mean, nobody wants to, to imagine their father's going to go at 57. And, and in, in Vicky's point, no, nobody wants to imagine a kid as a teenager losing their parent. Um, so for me, I was always a writer. That was my outlet. And I was going to, it was going to ask Vicky what her outlet was, because I think as long as we have an outlet, right? So not everybody's a writer. Not everybody's going to pick up a journal. Um, for, for some people, it may be sports. For others, it may be something physical, right? You know, it may be wrestling. It may be boxing. I know I took up a lot of things during different stages and ages of my grief, because even with that pivotal moment of 30 and what happened there and then processing it with my, my grandmother at the time, her mother, um, his mother, who um, just kind of wanted to banish everything, right? Move everything out, clear everything out of the space that he was living in. Um, whereas I kind of wanted to keep things the way they were. I had a grieving process there, but then after that, I was working on three different productions that I was living temporarily out in out here, actually in Ohio, um, at the time in a different part of Ohio. And I went through a whole nother stage to the point where I was just hardened. I was hardened by life. I was broken um, in so many ways. Cause as I mentioned, I lost my pastor. Then my pastor's daughter, who was a mentor of mine passed. Um, you know, demise of that 10, nearly 10 year relationship with the person that I was going to marry life as I knew it had no meaning. It was, it was almost like, as if it went, it blew up in flames. I had no idea what my life was going to be because I imagined just to, to Crystal's point, I attached myself to these things, these milestones, these relationships, what they meant to me, um, these accomplishments. And when all of that passed away, it's like, and you're strict. What now? you have to ask yourself these questions. Like Vicky said, she still asks herself these questions and I still do too. Um, it just so happens that I write everything down, like yeah. everything that I'm feeling and thinking at the top of the day, at the end of the day, um, when I'm trying to process what's going on, sometimes I'll just write down what, what's going on in my body. Mm-hmm. Like, what did I react to? And that's, you know, that's a whole nother chapter. I'm getting ahead of myself in terms of like just triggers and just, yeah, that's tr- why I call it space and grace, right? Giving yourself the space, giving yourself the grace to feel whatever it is and not question it. I think that's the difficult part, right? Because I know, I, I realize I stand in judgment and very critical of other people because I was very judgmental and critical of myself mm-hmm. until I got to therapy and, and my therapist, um, you know, helped me along the way when it came to that. So that's where, that was my healing space. Okay. Um, therapy. A lot of people don't go to therapy. A lot of people think therapy is taboo. Um, 
I often say, I don't need therapy. What I need therapy for is the situation. I'm dealing with the situation. So what's the problem? Right, right, right. Um, I, I sometimes think that I probably need therapy. So you've never <laughs> been to therapy, therapy, Dr. Caroline? Never, <gasps> ever. I think oh everybody should go to therapy. I would think that you are definitely someone that would like love therapy that would, you know, participate. Yeah, you would think. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I, I just, I almost felt, I, I don't know why. I know therapy is important and I know therapy will help. And it's not that, you know, even Vicky said I needed to go to therapy, you know, when I was going through. All some- right, yeah, you need a good friend. They're going to tell you. Like, yes, yeah. Vicky is totally honest when it comes to those things. I don't know why. I, I always, oh, you know what? I'm wrong. I did go to one therapist. And it was because I went to that one therapist that I decided that I didn't need no therapist. Because well, how many sessions did you go? I went to two sessions and I just felt like, I felt like, because from the very first session, I felt like she was trying to get me to say things that I didn't want to say. And I think, Crystal, you went through that, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I think, you know, I got lucky in that my first therapist is like the one that, you know, we, we have we've developed a connection and she knows like when to, how to, when to push and when to like, okay, it's too much. Okay. Um, but yeah, it definitely don't give up on it because <laughs> it's so important. Like I, we all need, a, yeah. we all need a Vicky. Like I had, a, for me, it was the same thing. I had a friend that we were going to my best friend's birthday party and her brother was in the car um, it was just me and him. We were going to my best friend's party and um, I'm telling him everything that, you know, what, what's going on. And he's like, you haven't been to therapy yet. And I'm like, no, I don't need that. I'm fine. And he's like, no, you need to go. And I'm like, OK, fine. Like one day I'll do it. And from that day, every single month, he he um, DM me on Instagram and say, like, did you go to therapy yet? And I'd be like, no, not yet. Did you go to therapy yet? Did you go to therapy? And I got so tired of him asking me that, like, just one day I went online. I looked who was in network with, with my insurance. Um, and that was, like, the height of the pandemic. So everybody was going to therapy. So it was so hard to find a therapist. Mm-hmm. And um, I finally, you know, I, I went. And I to this day, every time I see him, I'm like, thank you so much. If you hadn't pushed me, I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. Well, I love that story, Crystal. I, I do want to share, Dr. Caroline, if it's okay, yes, it about is. what my therapy journey was. Um, it is something that I mentioned in my in my previous book, Breakthrough, that you see behind me. Um, what happened in my come to Jesus moment where I was kind of forced into therapy. Much to Crystal's point, I had a friend that mentioned a treatment center. Like, you know, it was it was it was a whole campus where they address so many different types of therapy, different needs, um, different ages and stages of life. And um, I know that she had been treated there um, for anything, for what she was going through. And I didn't think anything of it, but I recall the time, again, like I said, I mentioned in my previous book that I was, I don't even know what was going on. I think I was having an argument with my aunt. I was staying with her at the time and I just got so enraged. I was, I mean, it was like a wrath. It was, it wasn't even anger. It was like level 10. And I happened to pass myself in the mirror. And when I got a look at myself, it was almost like I was unrecognizable. Like I had lost control of my body. I remember jumping in my car and I don't know where I was going, but I don't like, I could have been, I could have gotten to an accident. I could have harmed someone else. 
um, just by the way I was driving. I just knew that it just was, I didn't know what else to do. It was almost as if I was an addict and I was getting ready to be, to take my last breath. And I said, you know what, this is it. Like I'm at the pit. This is the bottom of the bottom and there's nowhere else from here, but up. I have to like come to terms with this. And I remember just driving myself. Well, God drove me. I believe it was again. I, I do believe in, um, in God. And I believe that certain things happen for reasons. So he drove me to that, that, that actual center. And what I love about this center is they take you through this assessment period. Right. So, you know, they're asking you a series of questions, you're filling out information, and then they pair you with someone kind of like a trial, an error type thing. And much to Crystal's point, the first person I was paired with, and in fact, this wasn't even the first time that I tried to get a therapy. I remember years back telling my primary care doctor that I wasn't feeling right. And she kind of looking at me like, what's your problem? What do you have to be, you know, you know, upset about, you know, you're young, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that, like all these different things as if, you know, kind of minimizing my pain. And she kind of laughed it off and did, didn't do anything about giving any resources. So then fast forward into this point where I was, um, I had my first therapist that kind of sat down with me, not manipulating me to say things that I didn't want to say, but she kind of sat like a fan. The way that she was speaking to me, it was kind of like, I'm here to get help. You understand that I need help. Like, this is not a right thing. So I went back to the drawing board and it was the next person that I got that stood before me. But it's funny because she knew that I was sizing her up. This was an old white woman, disabled, physically disabled and gray hair, silver hair. And, and she, and I'm judging her and I'm just like, what, what are you going to do for me? What do you know about me and my struggle? And she called me out on it. And she says, you know, what do you think about me? You know, um, you know, are you thinking that, you know, I can't do anything for you? She was a clinical psychologist. She worked with a lot of addicts and their families. My father was an alcoholic, among other things. Okay. And, um, and she primarily worked with minority patients. This woman was everything I needed. She worked with groups group therapy and she worked individually. So there was that, you know, there was always that question, would you prefer to have be in a group or would you prefer to be individual? So much to Crystal's point, it is a process. It is sometimes trial and error. I've worked with clinical psychologists. I've worked with psychiatrists where I've never been medicated, but I've, I've, I've spoken to them. I've worked with psychotherapists that that didn't go as well. Um, so, and then I've worked with just counselors that, you know, were masters in, in their program. Um, so it, it really just comes down to, you know, you get what you put into it and, and letting them know, be honest, this is what I need, you know, and, and, and put it out there on the table, because if you can't have an honest conversation, then you can't build that, that foundation of trust to build that relationship with them. I think I just didn't know what I needed during that, during that time. I didn't know why. I, I, I just, I just felt like I didn't really want to talk to a stranger about my emotions and, and what I was going through emotionally. Cause I felt silly even having so many issues about things that seem frivolous, you know? But, yeah, but I think that 
sorry to cut you off, Dr. Jones. No, I think that's, that's the problem. And, and Renee talked about it earlier. It's like, we're so conditioned to yeah. always be like, go, go, go. Yeah. That we don't take time for ourselves to sit down and be like, this is not okay. Like I, you know, I haven't sat down to even allow myself to feel this. Like that's the problem. Right. Um, and, you know, unfortunately it takes, um, you know, we like, you know, for what Renee was saying about that moment when she was like, you hit it, it, like, for me, it was like, I, I had to get to that point of rock bottom to be like, all right, like, this is not okay. Like the way that I'm acting where I'm angry at everybody, I'm argue, always arguing with my siblings. Like I was being physically violent towards my, my family. Like it got to a point where like, I had all this anger and it, it was bottled up and I needed to, and I realized I'm like, I need help. Like, and so once I, you know, you have to be willing to to get to that point where you're like, all right, like I'm not okay. And you know, that's fine. I just need to get better. Um, and so for me, I was the same. I'm like, oh, who, who wants to listen to my problems? Like, no one's going to understand me. Like, this is weird. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not crazy. Um, but, you know, I had to let all of that go um, and just open up. And to me, like, this was like the greatest thing I've ever done is gone to therapy. And I recommend it to any everybody because, um, you know, like my therapist asked me all the time, like, oh, you know, do you think we're going to move to like, you know, twice a month? I'm like, girl, we go together like real bad. Like, I'm like, we, you stuck with me. We're like, I'm not. Nope. This is every week. You know, we're meeting like that's it. Um, and the fact that I also think that when the pandemic happened, it was actually a blessing because um, the fact that I'm, I'm so busy that I can't like physically go somewhere. And now like you're telling me like I just need to, you know, hop on Zoom. And from wherever I am, I'm, I could be in my car, like wherever I'm at. And I'm, you know, I'm jumping on and talking to her. That was, that was crucial for me. I wouldn't have been able to do therapy if it wasn't this way. Vicky, have you ever seen this? Vicky, did you go to a therapist? No, no. And, and um, the therapy was for, for marital reasons, but I never for myself and dealing with the grief. Okay. But that's something I'm going to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Because she's the one that you you influenced Crystal to go, so you gotta go too. Well, so here's, one of those here's, here's the thing, and I'm glad you said that, um, Renee. I think a lot of it with me is I have helped so many people, and so many people depend on me, right? So I think I feel sometimes I feel like, well, they're coming to you because you got it all together and you're giving them all this great advice and they're getting it all together. So you need to check yourself and, 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 you know, basically give yourself the same advice you're giving all the people that you're giving advice to. So I, I just, it's almost one position, heal thyself. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like the same advice that I'm giving individuals who are coming to me seeking advice and I'm, and I'm helping them change their life. I need to, you know, Take that same advice. I mean, it's going to work. Well, for Dr. Me. Caroline, page 27. If the lifeguard drowns, nobody gets saved. That's exactly why I had to learn as women, as black women, you are our mother, your grandmother now, you're a wife. I mean, all of these things, you have, you wear a cape, right? Most women wear a cape all day, every day. And at some point, even Superman, even Batman, all of these, these superhero movies that we watch, they take that cape off and then they have to be themselves, right? They have to live in their skin. And in living in their skin, how do they cope? How do you get through the night? You know, how do you, how do you um, nurse your wounds? You know, all those things matter. And I've always learned from coaches that coaches need coaches too. 
Yeah. You know, doctors need a doctor too. You know, sometimes they can't treat themselves. Um, and, and that's really what it comes down to. And I found that much to your point, you know, people looking to me and me having all the best things to say to them, to empower them. I felt like it got to a point where what happens when my cup is empty? Right. I can't pour from an empty cup. Like I have nothing else to give. And that's, that's where I got to. I got to the point and that's why I got angry. I got to the point where like, I'm like, I need to be filled up. Yes. You know, who can replenish me? How, how do I feel better? How do I become full? Um, And, and who nurtures us? And, and that's, that's the difficult part. And like I say, the society and the culture in which we live in, it doesn't always allow for us to have those moments of vulnerability. Um, it's not weakness. It's really a lot of strength to, to say it's okay to not be okay. Okay. So in page 24 of your book, <laughs> it says, seek your own personal support system, which is what I have done. <laughs> and friends like Vicky and, and all of the rest of the women who I surround myself with through my women's ministry, as you know. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Because you when you when you wrote um that that little piece there about um seeking your own personal support system, what did that mean to you? Yeah, you know, I found that I found the support in some of the unlikely places. Mm-hmm. For example. I was working at Bloomingdale's when I came back to, uh, after losing my father, I was, I was returning back to work, um, in a high end area of Bloomingdale's where I was going to be, you know, very one-on-one interfacing with the customers and clients. And my manager at the time who I'd worked with previously before with a whole nother company, um, she lost her uncle who she was really tight with. She, I didn't even know what I needed. She knew in that moment you know what, you probably don't want to be around people and probably it may be too much and maybe overwhelming because that was, again, like I remember I mentioned, it changed me to the point where I just wanted to shut down. I could not be around people, a whole bunch of people. It was almost like I had this phobia all of a sudden. She she said, oh, no, you can go in the back, you can do other things. And she was a support system for me. Still to this day, you know, there were some things that she she lent her, you know, her, her ear to me, but then also she gave me some advice on how I was going to cope through it. Um, another support system, that happened by default, which is, I find to be unfortunate because I'm relatively young. A lot of my girlfriends that I grew up with had lost a parent, had lost a loved one. In fact, I I can't tell you how many funerals I've had to sing at um, from just the people in my friend group that I grew up with in Summit, New Jersey. Um, So they had sat where I sat, you know, and I was always the, on the outskirts, right? Oh, I'm here for you. I got you. Just, you know, let me know if you need anything. I'll pray for you. Like, you know, saying all those cliches, but not really knowing what they were going through. When the dust settles, right? After the, after the wake, after the funeral, when the calls stop, when the letters stop, people stop coming by, people go about their time and their life and everything that they're doing. I didn't know what that felt like. But I was able to see that through their eyes and through their experience. And so one of my best girlfriends, um, she lost her mother. I was the first person that went to her aid when she lost her mother. When I got that call, it was it was horrifying. Another girlfriend of mine who lost her mother that I sang at her funeral. One of my other best girlfriends lost a brother. Um, 
you know, and then uh, one of our other girlfriends at this time, we're no longer friends um, and we don't talk as much, but we always love and we kind of support each other from far. She lost a sister and her father. So um, that was by default that I had people to lean on that could simply just have sat in the place that I'm sitting in. And sometimes that's what it comes down to. Like someone that can relate. We just want to know that our feelings, that we're not crazy, like Crystal said, our feelings are validated. Um, it's, you know, that it's okay to not be okay. We need someone to say, that's fine. And I learned that it was even also sharing the silence. That was a big one because part of the reason why the relationship that I was in, it, it wasn't, even if we were going to stay together, it wouldn't have survived this loss that I had because that person was not okay with me showing up as the person that I was now after having this loss. Right. They expected me to be the life of the party, expect me to fill the room, expected me to be the support system, to be the backbone, um, to be, you know, the boisterous one, the lively one. And now I'm not speaking. I'm not filling the room. Maybe I don't feel happy and I'm, I don't want to smile and I'm not talking to everybody and I'm outgoing. So just to have a person there to kind of just sit with you, just be there when you wake up in the middle of the night because you're having nightmares and you can't sleep, yeah. that that's where you can find support. Yeah. And I know sometimes people are not mindful or they don't understand. Um, I had an incident um, um, where just last year, as a matter of fact, it was on the day, it was on the anniversary of my father's death. And I was feeling it a little bit, right? I was at work. And I was just quiet. And, I, and I'm usually, like you said, talkative and always trying to be there for everybody else, give everybody, you know, the attention and whatever they need. But that day was a hard day. And I was quiet. And I remember um, one of my coworkers coming in. And so she says to me, why are you angry? And to me, it was like, out of all the emotions that you could have thought that I was feeling, anger was not one of them. And so you kind of feel like people don't understand when you're in a place of grief, first of all, they don't know what that looks like. So now it becomes what they want it to be as opposed to what it really is. So I said to her, I'm not angry. You know, I wasn't going to tell her why I was feeling a blue or, or down. I just said, I'm, I'm not angry. And she insisted that I was angry to the point in which I became angry because I felt like, wow, you know, I lost my, my parents, you know, I did. And you know, I lost my parents around this time. So if I'm feeling something right now, you should at least have the good sense to think that quite possibly I might be missing you know, one of my parents right now. So the, the, my question to you, because I think you mentioned a little, I, I, I had a place in which you had mentioned something, like, but what do you do or what do you say to a person who is so insensitive to your, your I'll say your place of grief, or if you're, if you're not feeling like you, you need to live up to somebody's expectations of, of who you're supposed to be in that moment, because everybody's grief is unique, I think is what you um, 
um, what you talked about. Everybody's grief is unique. So let's speak upon that really quick because I am sure I'm not the only person that has experienced that type of attitude coming from an individual who don't have no kind of compassion or can't even comprehend what you might be feeling in that moment. So I want you to speak on that for us really quick. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You said you really like wrapped it up in, in, in a bow in terms of just people not understanding. Right. Mm -hmm. And we tend to judge or be critical of things that we don't understand. And because she didn't understand what you were experiencing, instead of her, instead of her asking what's going on, tell me what's going on right now. What can I do? How can I help? Right. Because we, it's almost like in what we say is in our delivery. And because we don't come from that place and we more so come from a place of judgment, that's why she got the reaction she got. So there's another thing I talk about in my book, boundaries, boundaries. And it's so funny. I, that was something I learned in therapy. I thought boundaries were for my lover, you know, my significant other, you know, of the opposite sex, you know, because, oh, you know, we're in a relationship together. I didn't know boundaries were for family. I didn't know boundaries for people at work. I didn't know the boundaries were for my girlfriend that I love very much. Um, but I create very clear boundaries with my people. Now they know, they know these lines that are drawn. They know my threshold. They know when I'm quiet, I'm processing. Um, and that's not a time for you to fill the space because you're uncomfortable, right? I think a lot of times people have to just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I yep. had to learn that because I was always someone that filled a room and wanted to always be heard. And I thought I was the voice for the voiceless. And I always just had to say something. Now I, I realize I can, I've learned how to be more observant. I've learned how to ask or lead with service as opposed to judgment. And when you set those boundaries, um, People, people can now, then now they know now they can get accustomed to it and they can adjust to the way your way of living. Um, prime example, um, as I'm dealing with grief again, right. Having lost my grandmother, I knew leading up to the days my grandma was in the, in the hospital for a week. Right. So I think she, she went in Saturday, Sunday to get surgery, not to die. Okay. There was nothing wrong with my grandmother. It, she was supposed to be getting surgery. Um, and they were trying to figure out how they could do this surgery on a 90, 91 year old woman, um, who had, you know, heart conditions and things of that nature. Um, and since she passed on a Thursday, so leading up to that time, I was also still working. I was supporting two, three, third grade classes. Um, leading up to that time, I set clear boundaries. One, my phone was on do not disturb. Still to this day, my phone stays on do not disturb. I'm screening calls. If we don't have a set meeting, if we don't have a set purpose to be on the phone, I'm not shooting a breeze. I'm not doing idle chit chat. I'm not going to be the dumping ground. Um, we can we can have a dialogue, but I feel like it, there can be time set for that, right? Um, I knew that I had to be in a space where I could be completely clear and um, and be there for my grandmother, be there for my kids, right? And and be able to hear from God. And I don't want to hear anybody else's noise, right? And and I knew I had to prepare myself for the biggest battle that I ever was going to have. Whether grandma came home and I was to take care of her, take care of her um, in a different way, 
than before or whether I was going to lose her. I knew that I needed a supernatural strength that the world wasn't going to give me. No friends and people, a lot of times projecting because that's what happens. She might have been projecting the fact that she was uncomfortable with the fact that you were you were quiet. She didn't know what to do with herself um, because, oh, well, you're usually the one to, to talk and you're the one usually one to have fun and this, that, and the third. She was uncomfortable projecting on you. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it there because I know like, you know, I can give you a long answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it there. <laughs> Thank you for that. For that, Crystal, is there any um thing you want to add? Yeah, I think for me, um, it's been like opening up to people and being vulnerable, um, and letting them know, like that, like listen, like I'm not okay this week. Like this is gonna be a hard week for me, um, and you know, take it for what you will, or like just not feeling guilty about saying no. Um, like a lot of times, um, people ask me to do things and, um, you know, like I want to get involved. I want to say yes. And then I realized that like, it was too much to do. Right. And like, I needed to take a step back. Um, so now, like, if I don't feel like I can be like, you know, like Renee said, like be the light in the room. If I don't, if I get invited to a party, I don't want to be the one to like, you know, bring the mood down. So I'll say like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm not coming tonight. I don't feel right. Um, and so that's something that I've kind of um, worked on is just like, again, setting boundaries and telling people like, I'm not okay, um, or I need a moment. Um, and I don't, before I used to feel bad about like, oh, like, what are they going to think about me? Or um, now I'm like, I don't care what you think about me. Like, um, every time that I speak up for myself, I'm healing my inner child. Mm. Um, and so now I'm at a place where like, I'm going to let you know how I feel about something. If you upset me, um, I'm going to tell you why that upset me. Right. Um, because a lot of times I think that people, um, do something to hurt you. Um, and then they get mad at you for speaking up about it. And it's like, no, like you don't get to hurt me and then decide how I feel about it. Um, and so now, um, you know, I'm more like, you know, just speaking up and saying, this is how I felt. Right. Um, and if you care to be my friend, then, you know, you'll apologize and, and do something, you know, about it and, and, you know, change that. Um, and if not, that that's okay. Like, you know, um, I've been okay with, with losing people along the way and that's fine. Yeah. I love everything she said. Vicky. Yes. I love everything. Vicky, what about you? Um, I never, you know, I'm learning to say more often now, you know, that I'm retired and time is not really my time because I'm babysitting my, my grandson. And so when I'm not babysitting him, that's my time, mm -hmm. you know? So if I get a phone call, say, can you come over and do X, Y, Z? No, I can't. Cause I'm, I realize I have to take time out for myself. Because if I'm depleted, what are you going to do? You know, so I have to take care of me. That's a lesson I need to learn yeah. because I'm depleted all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is your morning? Well, that's, a, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Dr. Caroline, because I think I even do this to my students. I, I do the scale thing. Okay, ask yourself, what are you on a scale from one to 10 right now? I mean, we, we hear that as soon as we go into the nurse's office, the doctor's office, and something happens, we go into a hospital, right? They say, Where, where's your pain level? But we don't do that with ourselves. We should be doing that with ourselves, I think. You know, in the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, whether, you know, we're stretching, um, you know, or just checking in with ourselves. And even at nighttime, I do that. Um, and then also, I keep my routines. Like, I'm big on my morning routine. I'm a morning person. And I found that people would 
would overstep their boundaries um, and and know, like what Tabiki said, you know, my time is my time, knowing that that was my time and wanting to infringe upon it in different ways, right? So by keeping my routines, right, and keeping my commitment to myself a lot of times, because that's something I, I know that we, we yeah. have difficulties and challenges in doing, right? You know, we want people to show up in a certain way, but then we don't show up that way for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So in keeping those routines, to fill my cup in the morning before I have to conquer the world, right? So that's one thing I I learned in my grandmother. Every single day, I set aside time, space and grace to cry. Because when I went out in the world to conquer that world, it was not about the fact that I was battling my grandmother being in the hospital. When I was with my grandmother, that was our time. It was not a time of crying and, and mourning. And she never saw me upset. It was, it was almost as if we were sitting in her bedroom and I was sitting alongside her, her bed watching Tyler Perry films. Right. So, you know, I, I had to create these, these coping, coping mechanisms so that I could be well-balanced. I can be great for, you know, the world that I was to conquer, but also that I, so I could be okay for myself um and so that there's that self-care that comes in and, and I don't feel like I knew anything about self-care before my 30s <laughs> like some of these this language that we're speaking now I didn't have that language in my 20s yeah I didn't yeah I didn't know all this or speak all this until therapy yeah well I knew about self-care I just didn't do it all right <laughs> But I will say, I like what you were saying, Renee, because in the mornings, um, my drive to work, um, I often have people ask me why I drive to work so early in the morning. I get up at four in the morning, between four and 4.30 in the morning. And, you know, I'm going for my routine, take my shower, do all that stuff. And it takes me really almost 45 minutes to an hour in the bathroom alone because, you know, I'm slow like that, you know. But I leave the house at six o'clock so that I could drive to work without having to rush. I can take my time and I use that time in the car to reflect and to think about all those things that I want to think about. I do most of my crying in the car on the way to work. I'll sit outside in the parking lot if I get to work early and I'll just, you know, I, that's the only place I feel safe. You know, that's my safety spot. It's the only place that I feel safe and uninterrupted where I could just have my good cry. Because I feel like I can't even do it in this house. You know, I feel like I can't do it anywhere. But in that one space that I know there's nobody there but me and God. Right. So that's my space. That's my time. That's my my space. And, you know, like I said, my, my parents died 17 days apart in 2020 during the um, pandemic. Now, they didn't die because of COVID, but we were affected because of COVID. We couldn't have the type of funeral, you know, we wanted to have people couldn't come to the funeral. Um, my mom died. I went to North Carolina and then I had to come back home. You know, and then my father died 17 days later and I couldn't even go back to North Carolina because I was under quarantine. You understand what I'm saying? So there was a whole lot of mixed emotions going on there. So I couldn't even go to my father's funeral because when I got back from North Carolina, North Carolina had such a high incidence incidence of um, 
COVID that we had to quarantine ourselves for the 14 days. And then, you know, then my father died. So I couldn't go back to North Carolina for his funeral. But it, it was a lot of crazy stuff because, you know, there was we were emotionally wrecked over my mom dying because my mom died suddenly. We were fussing with the siblings. You, it was a whole lot of crazy nonsense. And I had to try to stay sane. You know what I'm saying? And stay cool and keep myself together. So I don't even think I'm I'm truly finished even the morning process of let's say my father, because I spent all of the available time that I had mourning my mother, because that was such a sudden death for me. Because my father was already in hospice and we knew he was dying, right? But my mother's death was suddenly. And so I don't think, because I can't, I couldn't mourn them at the same time because I had to give my mom the amount of mourning that I felt appropriate for me mourning my mother. So it was like, now I don't even know how to begin to start mourning my father, right? And it's almost, and it's been in July, it'll be three years. So it's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm like, I'm still in this place where I don't even know. I don't even know how I feel right now. And there's no right answer. And that's okay, Dr. Caroline. And I think the, that's what you're saying. And that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, That's exactly what it feels like. I had to ask myself, am I still holding space for the grief and the loss of my father, right? because my grandmother was everything and she filled up such a space in my life. And then you even mentioned it, like in terms of there being a sudden versus preparation still doesn't make the pain any less, right? It doesn't minimize the brokenness of your heart because these are two very key people in your life. So I think just you, that's why I call it grace, right? Grace for yourself. Yeah. Don't even stand in judgment of like, oh God, what should I do? And how should I feel? And should I be feeling this way? And why am I not feeling this way? Why didn't I do that? You just allow yourself to feel whatever you're going to feel because it's yours. It's unique. It And also another thing you mentioned, the healing. Healing is not final. I heard Tabitha Brown say it. Healing is not permanent. We, we're literally going to be on this journey forever. Yep. Forever. Mm. Oh, sorry, Vicky. Did you say something? Yeah. What you should say? Vicky, what were you saying? Because I know in your case, Vicky, yes, you oh, I didn't hear she was breaking up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I hope my uh, internet is yet. still that was me that I said, yep. Like, you know, um to me it's like whenever I feel like I'm making um progress and then like I have one, you know, one of those weeks where um, you know, an anniversary is coming up or it's Father's Day or whatever. Um, I get, I beat myself up and I get so upset and I'll be in therapy and I'm like, oh, I feel like we lost all this progress. And she's like, no, like, uh, you know, grief comes in waves, you know, and, and it's a journey. Um, there's no final destination, um, you know, and, and to me, what I've come to realize that grief is just love with nowhere to go, right? Like I have all this love that I, that I have, um, you know, for my, um, loved ones that have passed away, um, that, you know, I'm, I'm being gentle with myself and that I'm allowing myself when those moments do come to just sit with the feeling, right. Sit with it and honor that. Right. Um, and whatever it is that I'm called to do with that, you know, again, I, you talk about this in your book, Renee, about like, you know, traditions and creating traditions and, and, and trying new things and, and changing, you know, changing them up. 
you know, for me, it's like, as soon as I know that that day is coming up, I tense up, I'm like, oh, it's going to be bad, I'm going to be miserable. Um, instead, just, you know, letting it come. And then whatever happens, right? Like, I think we have this idea of like, you know, again, society gives this timeline of like, oh, you know, you grieve, and then like, you know, six months, like, that's it, you're supposed to be fine. Um, and it's not like that, right? Um, and so, you know, whatever it is that I want to do, it's my journey, right? So whatever it is that I want to do to show space or create space for myself, um, that's what I'm doing, right? Um, and not caring about, you know, because everybody grieves differently, right? Um, I'm seeing that even within my own family, you know, the way that I'm grieving versus my siblings, right? And not judging people, right? Like, you know, you don't, just because you're not crying about it every day doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, right? Um, and, and so, um, I think that that's what I've learned is just, again, like being patient with myself and knowing that this is going to be, you know, for the rest of my life, you know, I'm going to miss my dad. Right. Um, and that's okay. Um, what I'm, what I'm doing right now in therapy is again, you know, creating that space, learning the language, um, to be, you know, more gentle with myself, um, and having those tools that when those moments do come, how can I process those emotions in a healthy way and not avoid them? Oh, I love that, that gentleness. Oh my God. How I know I was not gentle with myself. My therapist called me out on that too. She checked me out on that. So I love that you said that Crystal. Um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, we're ever evolving, right? I mean, we are a work in progress. I mean, we are not at the height of who we're going to become. So it's it's the same as with our, our healing journey, um, our growing journey. Um, what I will say to what Crystal's point is, to piggyback of what she said about, um, you know, making space and just allowing myself and honoring that. I love that she said honoring what you're feeling. I talk to my grandmother all the time. Like everything I do, it's so funny. Things that I used to be like, oh, grandma, why are you doing that? I'm not doing it. It's hilarious. I'm like, oh my God, I'm my grandma. You know, like when I make my bed, I'm like, grams, I made my bed. Cause she was like, I don't care what you do. You better make your bed today. You know, like the, the littlest things. Um, I remember with my dad, when at, right after he passed, and even now, when I hear jazz music, when I see a picture, when I look at my nephew, who's named after him, who's spitting image of him, um, who was much like him and took on his mannerisms and things of that nature. Um, I'm like, look at God, look at God, right? They'll give you a grandchild, a nephew or something that will look just like that person and embody them. And it's almost like they're still here with you. So I, I definitely would say, you know, pay attention to those moments. Um, you know, when a song comes on, I think about it when I'm looking at a movie, um, you know, and, and it's okay to laugh too. You know, like you said, you don't have to cry to, to, to know that the pain is there. Um, and so, yeah, as long as we just give ourselves grace and gentle and, and not judge ourselves, I'm in, and those that are around us that maybe are grieving differently. Cause my brother and I grieve very differently and, and, and see the difference was I was with both of them when they had their last breath. So, you know, and my brother's been kind of far removed. He's been out of the state for so long. And so I understand that he's carrying that weight a little differently and maybe hard, really, really hard, not being there for whatever those last moments were. Like you say, you know, when it's, when it's either in preparation or when it's sudden, you're like, you go back like, oh gosh, 
what could I have done? What could I have said? I, I should have been there. And you know, all those things. I've had those conversations with myself too, but it, it's going to continue to happen. And it's okay to just honor that, like Crystal said. Okay. All right. So we are talking about the book, Seven Steps to Healing from the Loss of a Parent, Letters to My Father by Brene Taylor. So Brene, why don't you tell um, the audience where they can purchase your book? Yes. Um, you can go to my link tree. It's literally link tree backslash Brene Taylor. If you, I'm Brene Taylor across all media platforms. You can Google me, Renee Taylor, Letters to My Father, and you can find on my Amazon page if you want to download it digitally for ebook. If you want to sign personalized copy, I always say support the artist and the author directly. Um, that way you can go through my link tree to get that signed copy. Um, and then I will, you know, package it all nice and about and send it out to you. Um, but it is, it's, it, it's something that I can't believe that it, it happened. I can't believe that I did it because my dad lived for such a short time, right? 57 years. I mean, my gosh, she didn't even scratch the surface. I just find it as like such a blessing that I was able to do this because regardless of whatever time he had here physically in the earthly realm, people will know his name. People will know who he, who he was and people will know who I, who my family is and, um, and my grandmother as well. Um, as she, you know, lived 91 years. So, um, but yes, the link tree backslash Renee Taylor or just Renee Taylor across media platforms, you can find it there. Okay, great. Well, as always, it's my pleasure to have you on this podcast. Crystal, do you have any closing remarks that you want to give to Renee? Yes, I just wanted to say, um, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you um, for writing this book. Um, I think we, we all, I speak for myself when I say that I needed it. Um, and every single page I found myself like, just like, well, yep, yep, yep. Like I related it to um, it so much. Um, and I'm so happy to be part of this ministry with you, um, Dr. Jones, because every, we, we all, everybody that you bring, um, to this podcast and that we meet, um, you know, like I, it's for a reason. So I'm, I'm so glad that we connected, um, because this is another part of this healing journey for me. Um, so I'm so grateful to be here with all of you today and I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. Yes. Thank you, Crystal, for, yeah. um, thank you for being the chair for our, uh, grief and loss, uh, committee too, because that's very important. Mickey, last words, anything you want to say to Renee, Crystal? I'm looking forward to reading it and I thought I was past it, but this will help me get in touch with my feelings. And, and I am going to jot down, because I wrote here, start writing down how you're feeling. Yeah. And give myself grace. Yeah. And sit with my feelings. And then stop pushing through. Just because it's been over 40 years doesn't mean that I'm over. Yes. Yeah. So yes. take the time and acknowledge. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, you knew I needed to be on I knew you needed to be on this this podcast because I know that it's generational too. Um, we got um, Renee and Crystal who are younger um, than than us, Vicky. It's generational because we you're, you're taught to kind of like not say anything and to kind of push that on the inside. Right, yeah, you know, let. But you know what, what I love about the book, Renee, and what I love about this generation is that they are 
moving forward with understanding what's happening with them. Whereas when we were growing up, we had to, you can't never talk about, you know, you can't talk about it. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. You can't feel this. You can't feel that. You have to, like, you know, do a certain thing, be a certain thing. So Vicky, that's why you find that is freeing you now to now suddenly, now mm-hmm. you're starting to come mm-hmm. face with all these feelings and you're starting to pull up these old emotions, these ghosts of emotions that are starting to come forth from you now. And um, so that is why this book is important because it'll give you an opportunity to acknowledge, right? That's the first step. Yeah, yeah and I love that Crystal, Crystal said, healing your inner child. I'm gonna start saying that because I'm like, I didn't know I had trauma. That was another thing that I discovered because I, again, I thought trauma looked a certain way. Yep. I thought you had to be, it was trauma if you were abused, if you were, you know, you dealt with domestic violence, if you were dealing with addiction, like all these. And I didn't realize that trauma could show up in these subtle ways that, uh, that a lot of us have experienced. And so I love that we are all healing our inner child. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Vene, for showing up and showing out today. Thank you, guys. Um, I know you're in your space of rest right now, but I, <laughs> but I also know that you are an artiste. So I know that you're not going to be in that space of rest for too long because I know you got some projects that's going to come up. You got some passion projects that's going to surface. So I want you to keep me and this ministry informed of everything that you're doing so that we can continue to support you. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will, you know, I will. And I'm so glad that we've remained connected after all these years um, with everything that we've done and just your support and your love for me has been great. When I did my podcast, you being on my platform, me being on yours has been amazing. You just inviting me back and you gifting this to other people is all that I could really ask. Um, I really just want people to just open up the dialogue surrounding grief. Even if it just means, okay, just a simple $4.99, you know, down, you know, whatever that may look like. Um, It's just, if we open up that space to have the conversation, then this was not in vain. No, it was not in vain. And for my listeners, if anyone out there who is in need of this book, um, the ministry is going to purchase 10 copies of this book and then give it away to anyone who's in need of healing from a loss of a parent. So what I'm going to need you to do, let's hold the book up, because what I'm going to need you to do is just reach out to Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry at gmail.com and we will certainly send you a copy. We will. All right, so that's our show for today. I want to thank my guest, Miss Renee, which I always want to call you Renee because I have a friend named Renee. And, and I always want to call you Renee. But Renee Taylor, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for joining thank us. you. Crystal for being on this podcast. Yes. Thank you, Vicky, for showing up and showing out. And so this is Dr. Caroline Pathia Jones. And it's been my pleasure to host this podcast today. So I will see you at another time. Thank you.